0: Welcome to All Things Policy. I'm Aditya Ramnathan and I'm joined by my colleague, Aditya Parikh. And today we're going to discuss the effects of the war in Ukraine on space, on both the global space industry and more specifically on India. We're also going to look at how space is being used by both the belligerents in this ongoing conflict. And I'm really happy to be joined by Aditya Parikh because Aditya Parikh Is a avid follower of Russia, Russian politics, and uh, Russia's foreign policy. He's uh, incredibly well informed about the subject, and he also tracks space as Dakshila. So and so for us, at least, it's a wonderful intersection of research areas. So, firstly, uh, welcome Aditya Parik. Thanks,
1: Aditya. It's great to be here, and thank you so much for your kind words.
0: (laughs) Hey, let's look at what this war really means for space. Okay, because you and I have written about this every now and then, but it's, it's nice to just bring our thoughts together in one episode of All Things Policy. Firstly, let's just look at, you know, can you talk a bit about the global impact that this war is likely to have? You know, the fact that, for example, there are sanctions on Russia, the fact that, you know, you, you have physical destruction of, of sites in Ukraine. What does all this mean for the global space industry?
1: I think the biggest impact would be the way cooperation between international entities is going to shrink. That is going to be the biggest impact. Second, I think the global space economy is currently being defined by private sector activity, I would say. So new space companies have come in, private sector is getting more and more contracts for national space programs, that sort of a thing. So I think that is being highlighted quite a bit and, you know, there was a time when Uh, you could only rely on government-supplied satellite imagery for carrying out military operations on the terrestrial level. But in this conflict, I think uh, the biggest uh, winner or the biggest highlight has been the private Earth observation applications, uh, part of the uh, private space sector. And I think that has implications in the Fiscal sense, it has implications on the strategic sense. It has implications on the you know law of armed conflict sense. So the paradigm itself is being you know quite turned upon its head, and a lot of things have been you know I, I think they, they've been sped up because I think these changes, these questions would have been asked decades later, but because of this ongoing conflict, uh, they're being asked now. And then talking about the industry. I think it has a very direct impact on how India's fortunes in space are going to be affected as well. Because, you know, it's not it's no secret that India is also looking to launch some very big ticket kind of space missions uh, right now, including the Gaganyan mission. So those watershed moments, you know, it's really not 100% certain right now because of this conflict that the supply chains would hold up. A lot of hardware comes from all around the world, including uh, Russia. And with at least the Gaganyan mission, Russia is a very important partner for India and a lot of hardware involved in Gaganyan mission is going to uh, come from Russia. And it's very uncertain right now that those deliveries would take place on time or not. Or You know, it's there's a lot of ambiguity around it right now. Russia is confident that it would be able to hold up its end in the deals that have been made, but with uh, no certainty of what the military industrial complex and the space industrial complex of Russia would look like after this conflict. So that's really a big uncertainty. So, I mean, it really goes to show that how interconnected the world is as far as use of space goes, as far as high tech cooperation goes. So I think it's a downward kind of a trajectory as far as the uh, globalized space economy that we were used to for the past many decades. I think that's my brief take on what the larger picture of impact on space from this conflict is.
0: Yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that we are going to see conscious uh, decoupling at least between uh, states. And what you will see is, uh, you will see more international cooperation, but it's going to be a long political line. So you, for example, you might see Western nations cooperating more with each other or, or at least Western companies in these uh, countries uh, cooperating more with each other, it's possible that we might see a spike or a gradual increase more likely uh, in uh, space cooperation between Russia and China. You know, there, there are also some some specific effects that we can talk about. For example, the International Space Station, you know, the fact that Russia is actually crucial to, to the International Space Station. So, you know, you're not likely to see an end to cooperation between uh, NASA and Roscosmos. But I think that there is going to be a conscious decoupling. International Space Station is kind of effectively NASA-led today. And uh, they're going to basically become less and less reliant on Russia. They're probably going to use the uh, Northrop Grumman Cygnus uh, spacecraft, for example, to provide the boosts necessary uh, to the International Space Station to keep it in orbit rather than using a Russian craft. And uh, similarly, they're going to be basically using American private spacecraft to launch uh, people and cargoes to the ISS. We've also, for example, seen a cancellation of launch of uh, one-web satellites from Russia. All of these, I think, point to a, a broader decoupling. And uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see what the global space industry looks like at the end of this. Now, Aditya, since you track Russia, I, I just want to know from you, how do the Russians see uh, the fallout of this war on on their space program and on the global space economy more broadly?
1: So I'd be glad to talk about that. But for the ISS, I also want to make a point. So I think the service life of that to a space station is nearing its end as far as the original hardware that's currently in orbit is concerned. So Russia has been very vocal about how they see that it's going to fall apart around 2030 or so because it's going to catastrophically have failures across systems. So this has been the Roscosmos position for a while now. And very recently, you know, 2030 is basically when 2030 to 35 is when basically the project should really be scrapped because of all the technical difficulties of maintaining it. Because more and more spacewalks would have to be undertaken to actually repair uh, the modules for them to be functional, for them to be safe to operate. So Roscosmos has been also using this as a kind of uh, shield to, you know, do the political stuff, I would say. At the moment, Dmitry Rogozin, the head of Roscosmos, he spoke about that he has presented a proposal to the Russian president on when cooperation with the West and other partners should be ended on the ISS project because because of the current political and military situation in Ukraine. So his idea is that, you know, both things could go together. That's my interpretation of it, that basically they're going to have to you know, stop the cooperation very soon in 2030. So they're going to phase out their involvement based on that. So I think it's a lot of posturing and not exactly very different from uh, what their, you know, pre-conflict plans were. So that that's what I think of the ISS cooperation going forward. And as for the fallout on the Russian economy because of sanctions, I think, yeah, the biggest idea I take from it is that So Rogozin has been very vocal about how the sanctions have curtailed the Russian space program's ability to replace a lot of stuff in orbit. For example, GLONASS satellites are under threat of, you know, falling into dysfunction and not being replaced in time. So that's going to erode their Earth observation capability, their navigation capability for the forces on ground and at sea. So that would be a huge blow. And uh, Russia has been uh, talking about this rhetoric that if uh, the West cuts us off from uh, civilian GPS, even we're going to rely on GLONASS. We don't really have to worry so much. And we're going to maybe also collaborate with our Chinese partners with their BeiDou system. But I think GPS has a bit of an edge over both systems put together at the moment. And the fact that there are many instances in Syria In the current ongoing operations where Russia is seen using their military forces are seen using civilian receivers of GPS signals for their navigation needs, for their targeting needs. So I think that speaks for itself that at the moment, the Russian and Chinese capabilities put together aren't enough for uh, their military objectives. So this is a lot of, you know, hollow rhetoric that things are hunky-dory and even if the West cuts us off, it's going to be fine. Similarly, the stuff about export controls of high-tech components, that's hitting pretty hard. And at the moment, you know, it's quite uncertain what the real state of matters is. But if you look at indications, I've said this quite a bit on this podcast before as well. So the first proper indication for me came in mid-2021 when Rogozin talked to his parliament, the Russian parliament, the Duma. And he acknowledged that certain imports being denied under sanctions for high-tech microchips uh, was holding Roscosmos back from launching a few satellites because they were only partially finished. And they couldn't be finished because a bunch of key microchips, some chipsets were not to being supplied by the West under sanctions and they couldn't find alternatives for them at the moment. So there there was, you know, a, a lot of stuff about how India can be a supplier for alternative chipsets. but. You know, that's rhetoric, not talking specifics, because as far as I know, the only chipsets that India was in any shape to, to supply were receivers of the nav- navigation system that is the regional navigation system that ISRO has built for India. So I don't think that is the kind of chipset that goes into a satellite, which is the problem here that uh, Roscosmos and Dimitri Rogozin were talking about. So... I don't think that's a, that's a solution the, to the problem. And it's, you know I think it's very political that people try to project it as some sort of a replacement for a what Russia has lost by kind of decoupling with the West. I, I honestly think that it's more of a bifurcation kind of a thing because Russia is trying to more and more rely on China. It doesn't reciprocate all of it, you know, advances, but to, that doesn't mean that to China wouldn't in key places try to keep the Russian economy, the Russian space economy afloat. So I don't think at the moment the kind of contracts that Roscosmos or so Roscosmos used to have a lot of cooperation with the European Space Agency, with even some Western private firms like OneWeb. So that cooperation has now been scrapped. Even OneWeb satellites, which were due to be launched even in a few days, and the launcher Soyuz was erected in one of the russian cosmodromes to be launched with those one web satellites but to, those satellites were uh, you know taken down and uh, even some flags painted on uh, that rocket were covered up so that really signals that to, and, and by the way those satellites as far as i know have not been returned to the to, to one web so it's kind of a situation where uh, everything has been frozen and ties are being cut off and as far as i know that capacity, that to launch capacity that would now be idle it's not exactly idle because as far as i know uh, russia is looking to provide that capacity to its own private uh, space companies there are a few of them and they could use them but to- those applications would be like cubesats uh, mini sats that sort of a thing it's not going to be a huge big ticket item that's going to be sent up as far as i know So and then in turn, how do you imagine those companies are not relying on the same hardware components from so it's really a very tricky situation. And there's a lot of, you know, fog of war. There's a lot of ambiguity right now. But I don't think Russia is in a position of strength right now.
0: Aditya, that's absolutely interesting. And I think uh, Russia is definitely in a challenging position. I want to get back to, you know, how Russia and Ukraine have been using space-based assets uh, during this conflict. But before we do that, let's take a quick break. Welcome back to All Things Policy. Now, Aditya, I want to turn to the war itself and how space is being used. Can you run us through some of the highlights of the usage of space during this conflict? We've seen both state-owned assets as well as uh, private sector being entangled in this conflict can you tell us how that's worked out
1: yes yeah, so the ukrainian authorities have been very vocal about private to uh, sat imagery companies who take who have uh, satellites in orbit like Maxar, etc who sell that imagery to provide that imagery to ukraine on a kind of you know Prompto basis because because they use it to get intelligence on advancing Russian forces in basically the military operations that they're carrying out. This uh, throws up a very big question, really. And uh, then they, they also deal with the resellers of these satellite imageries, uh, you know, smaller companies who buy imagery in bulk and then uh, sell to very specific applications wherever required. So it's a bit of a mix for the uh, Ukrainian market right now. But as far as I know, Uh, majority of the dealing is going towards the war effort, as far as I understand. So the question that this throws up is who is a belligerent in a conflict and who is not? So I think there's been quite a bit of commentary on this because, you know, at the moment, the convention was that private space companies would not be, you know, a part of the conflict, but with uh, Ukraine using satellite-based infrastructure of these private companies to Target Russian forces, even if that's not in real time, in majority of the cases, as far as we know. So it really throws up the question if Russia would see these private companies as co belligerents of Ukraine and target their satellites in orbit and other infrastructure, so would that set a precedent? Uh, So that really is a question that has not been answered. And thankfully, it has not been answered in an affirmative that yes, uh, they would be targeted. Because, you know, uh, space debris, once something hits, uh some some kinetic action is taken by russia if it's going to uh, destroy one of those satellites that's going to generate debris and endanger just about any space object that's in the path and that would draw in uh, neutrals and that sort of a thing you know it's very similar to uh, what the argument was in uh, you know in early european uh, wars of food, uh, the 19th and 20th century that if you target uh, neutral shipping who exactly is a belligerent and who's not? Because, uh, you know, th- the same argument with the uh, blockades in those days at sea. So it's kind of similar here as far as uh, international law and the law of armed conflict goes. So you can see this especially with the Elon Musk's Starlink, which has provided to internet connections, a satellite internet to terminals to Ukraine. And that exchange was uh, between Ukrainian authorities and Elon Musk was public on Twitter. So that really sets a precedent here that to, uh, you know a private company has been so uh, a private american individual has been so uh, you know uh, about providing aid to a belligerent in an active conflict and what complicates the matter further is the fact that those satellite internet terminals are not only being used by the ukrainian forces to just communicate they've also actually used it to actively target russian armored forces in the fray right now Inside Ukraine, so they've been using these satellite internet connections to communicate with their uh, TB2 birotor drones, which are strike drones. So and a bunch of smaller quadcopters and such drones. But it's it's really a tricky a thin line to cross there, really, because that would technically put a Starlink as one of the keys in the chain of how Ukraine is conducting this conflict, because this is a active strike element of the Ukrainian armed forces, which has uh, cost the Russian forces quite a bit in blood and material on the ground. So how long this would be, you know, th- th- this would be ignored by the Russians and uh, they wouldn't target Starlink satellites is kind of a Difficult thing, and really, people uh, in the uh, information domain right now, as far as I understand, the actors in the information war domain of this conflict are uh, actually also actively exploiting this gap in what the w- what the exact nature of Starling's involvement is, because there was a fake story floating around very recently about how the Russian ruling party, Etnaya Russia, United Russia, to which you to Sorry. which president putin also belongs so the party in powers website alleged website was supposed to was supposed to post a statement by dmitry medvedev who used to be the russian president in the in the near past he apparently gave a statement according to that fake news that the russian aerospace forces have been instructed to target starlink satellites because uh, they've been a key element of ukrainian war effort Against Russia. So this turned out to be false, absolutely false. And it was a website created around 2004 or so, the Internet Archive. Actually, I found this out by seeing how far back that website went. And I it was looking for an archive of that. So on Internet Archive Wayback Machine, I actually copy pasted the URL there and found out that it existed since at least 2004. There was a backup from 2004. So this was a very deep information asset that somebody had buried for a long time and they were biding their time and then they used it in this conflict. So it was a fake website. It was a cloned website which had the same content and some fake statements like this. Uh, This Dimitri Medvedev one, which had fake facts and was spreading a very dangerous kind of a thing which could have led to Conflict uh, breaking out in space. Okay, all right. I, I think it's also interesting how GPS
0: has been used during this conflict. You know, I, definitely the Ukrainians are using GPS once again to coordinate their military operations. Just civilian GPS, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Russians are also dependent on GPS to some extent, both informally and as well as perhaps you know for ad, adding course corrections for their munitions, for their platforms, and so on. So it's interesting to you know that that's another form of, you know, weird form of entanglement that occurs in, in, that is occurring in at least this conflict. But I think, Aditya, you bring out, I mean, you know, I think the really important takeaway for for us over here is simply how long uh, will uh, space continue to just be a sanctuary? You know, at some point, belligerents and conflicts are going to start challenging the use of space by an adversary, And that could mean not just, you know, for example, spoofing up or jamming back on Earth, but also actually targeting assets up in space so yeah i think that's that's a key lesson that india should take away this is no longer something theoretical now one final question before we end is uh, how do you see cooperation in space uh, going forward from here because you know we've talked about uh, this kind of decoupling that's likely to occur but uh, obviously it's very difficult for for states to go it alone so what is the future of space
1: cooperation over the next over the coming years it's unfortunate that Russia is—I don't think—is going to any longer be a, a provider of major launch capability apart from its domestic economy, because uh, domestic space economy, because the the numbers just don't make sense. Uh, the launch vehicles under development right now are uh, much better in other countries and with the private space companies. So even right now, if you look at the cost and payload numbers on what to, uh, SpaceX is offering and what to, Russia is able to muster with its uh, old systems and the uh, new ones. So I'm referring to what kind of payload capacity and what kind of costs are you looking at with Soyuz and with the newer Angara series of rockets. So the numbers don't really make sense for any third-party player to sign up with Roscosmos right now. So it's a very difficult situation for uh, Russians. So it's a very larger trend that in just about everything after the sanctions, they're looking inwards. So, you know, it's it's uh, the same kind of Atmanirdparta kind of a thing that we saw during the COVID times, during the initial lockdowns, but to, you know, on steroids, on, as we say in Takshashila, 10x. So at the moment, they're thinking in terms of finding domestic alternatives for everything. So Russia is going to turn very inwards for its uh, space economy or Rather, whatever it's going to shrink to, it's all going to be domestic demands and maybe some some help with the Chinese would matter. But largely, uh, Russia is no longer going to be a major provider of space services, as far as I understand. That's going to be a major change because the USSR erstwhile was one of pioneering space power and we in India know it as the space power, which actually, you know, helped us initially with our satellites and such, uh, basically got our space program off the ground. Without its help, it might have been much more difficult during the, or the original Cold War. So I think uh, the Russia pretty much disappearing from the top four or five players in the space economy is going to be a huge development. And yeah, as we discussed before, China... Uh, China-Russia cooperation is going to be, you know, bolstered by this current crisis and in the uh, following years, as far as I understand. But that really depends on other factors as well, because even in other uh, podcasts that we've done and some research documents that we've produced, it always comes through that the uh, Chinese are very pragmatic about their cooperation with uh, Russia and they don't really take unnecessary risks to support Russia politically or fiscally. They always try to find a way where the risk can be minimized as far as fallout on their economy and their military technical fortunes are concerned because they're also very reliant on the West. They're also very, you know, entrenched in the global uh, supply chains and such. So they only do very lopsided kind of cooperation with Russia where they always come out on top and buy a huge margin. Right, absolutely.
0: You know, I, I think in summary, what we're likely to see is both along with the decoupling is weird forms of cooperation that are implicit or indirect, because it's very hard to completely decouple in space in reality. Of course, these states are also going to have to continue to talk to each other about about space security, basically, you know, what what do we do about ASAC tests, uh, responsible behavior in space and so on. So we're likely to see, you know, a weird combination of conflict and cooperation or at least decoupling and cooperation in the years ahead. But thank you so much, Aditya. This has been a fun discussion to have. Indeed, it was my pleasure. And thank you for joining us on All Things Policy. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app ivmpodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts You can also follow IVM on social media The handle is at Podcasts on Twitter Facebook and Instagram And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology strategy and economic affairs check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashilainst or our website
1: takshashila.org.in